0: This is Cam Slater, and you're listening to Dirty Politics. Welcome to the Dirty Politics podcast. I've got Simon Lusk on Skype with me again, And uh, we're going to do a debrief of the election, the results, who's to blame for the various results, who the heroes are, and uh, who can hold their head high in the polling. Welcome, Simon. Thanks, Cam.
1: Yeah, bloody good election.
0: I thought it was uh, mildly interesting. It wasn't nearly as exciting as 2014, but then again, we were right in the midst of the whole lot in 2014.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Still, there were some people we really didn't like and they lost, so that was good.
0: Well, speaking of people we don't like and losing again, we've got um, old Gareth Morgan uh, went down the route of all other rich people who have poured millions of dollars into campaigns and lost. Before we get into the rest of it, do you want to have a quick comment on that?
1: Yeah, he's a dopey bastard. I mean, I asked him about whether he was going to take an evidence-based approach to campaigning or just to policy, And he waffled on about all sorts of stuff, which basically said he was going to fund the campaign and he'd make it up as he goes along. I mean, I I just thought the guy's deluded. There's a clear science to campaigning and um, he just had to do it his way. I mean, he's obviously got way more
0: money than sense. Well, and he's failed. He got 2% and no money back for all of the expenditure that he's made.
1: Yeah, and you know that that's it. Just goes to show again that money doesn't make a difference in politics. Um, you you've now got three um, very wealthy idiots completely screw up political parties, and you know. So when when the hard left or or the Greens go on about oh, money in politics is really bad, it um, well it doesn't make much difference. And thanks to Gareth, that point's reinforced.
0: Well, the ACT Party has been proof positive for years that money can't buy elections, and they've done it again this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know they—they, they, uh, yeah—you you just wonder what people in the Greens and and Labor th- are thinking when they're talking about money um, dominating politics, because the the history is just money doesn't make much difference.
0: No, that's right. But let's talk about what does make a difference. My uh, I wrote a blog post uh, yesterday, and uh, I pointed out a number of things that I thought were key points. Uh, I thought we'd work through those uh, tonight and, and expand that a little bit further. My first point that I made in that post was that negative campaigning works, that this election has proved that negative but accurate advertising worked, particularly for national, and research uh, that I'm sure you can explain to the listeners uh, proves this as well.
1: Yeah, uh, the, the- basic premise of negative campaigning is it's usually four times more truthful than the, the puff piece positive campaigning because you actually have to prove stuff. Um, National uh, ads were um, exceptionally good because they attacked Labor on something that people were concerned about. And, you know, their, their seven new taxes was just a, a very easy ad to construct. And Labor were set up to fail by um, Grant Robertson not being prepared with a decent answer to what was such an obvious
0: attack. So with these ads that they ran, the negative campaigning, uh, particularly Steve Joyce, uh, coming out with the $11 billion fiscal hole, Labour were always going to be on the back foot with that because they simply didn't have any answers to any of those questions other than nationals wrong. And it appears the voters didn't buy that.
1: No, I I think there's a... there's two distinct uh, parts of the campaign. Joyce saying a $11.7 billion hole um, may not necessarily be true, but it was plausible. Even um, if no one agreed with Joyce, it was still plausible because Labour do piss away a lot of money. Um, the negative campaign saying Labour are going to introduce all these new taxes was absolutely accurate and true. Um, and Labour decided to um complain to the broadcasting standards authority and the broadcasting standards authority said it was um absolutely true it it was a true campaign ad um and labor got caught out
0: so so if you're in, in an election campaign and you're confronted with negative advertising negative campaigning how do you how do you deal with that what's the antidote to that the um,
1: basic theory is, is you've got to be willing to go back hard and be um, very, very aggressive in in um, debunking those claims. But also, you, you you can't just stick on that issue. You've got to smack your opponents hard on another issue, and you've got to be willing to attack. Now, in Labor's case, it was obvious that tax was going to be a um, something that was bad uh, for them if 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 the issue that was being discussed was tax they needed to come back with some attack on National for, you know, some failing part of the public service and probably health, although, you know, the Labour had constructed this big lie about health that would have been debunked, but they needed to go after National hard on something to change the point of attack and to take the pressure off them on um on, on tax, but they just weren't adept enough to do it.
0: Did they walk into that trap? in some respects, because uh, Jacinda Ardern had claimed at the start of the campaign that she was going to be relentlessly positive. And then that kind of took the negative campaign uh, options for Labour off the table. It allowed Steve Joyce to come in and absolutely monster them. And they couldn't uh, feasibly recover from that, because if they did, then they'd be accused of dropping the relentlessly positive.
1: Yeah, and you know, Jacinda is a bit Pollyanna-ish, and um, she was Pollyanna through the bloody campaign, and it was um, she got found out as every other person that runs a campaign that says I won't do any negative campaigning, it uh, tends to get found out because it means that your opponent can just bash you mercilessly, um, and you've got to take it. And you know, Labor didn't have any decent. Hits lined up on national, and and Jacinda had said no hitting, and she got smashed. And um, hopefully she's learnt that relentlessly positive means losing. Um, but yeah, she she I think she actually genuinely believes in it too. Um, so maybe not. Uh, maybe she'd prefer to be relentlessly positive and lose rather than um,
0: yeah be willing to get absolutely dirty with um, her campaign and and win. See, that that's the thing. Labour's really good at playing dirty. Uh, I can't believe that they tied their hands behind their back and then let Steve Joyce punch away at them.
1: Yeah, yeah. There's some fantastic dirty campaigners in Labour. They're just geniuses at it. And, you know, they, they, they should have been engaged to bash national just mercilessly. Um, and, you know, a good negative campaigner has half a dozen different attacks lined up ready to go, and they might not use them all. But the moment that Joyce
0: was putting them under pressure... Um, something should have been done back to national, and it wasn't. Well, the result of this, then, is that Labour is sitting there with barely enough numbers to form a majority government, uh, but only if they can uh, perform a miracle and get Winston and the Greens to work together. Who's responsible for putting... uh, you know, labour into this position where it was thought that they were going to be a- able to do a deal with a, with pay- perhaps two parties or one part one other party, and they're now sitting there wait- waiting for Winston to make his mind up. Who has caused this problem for Jacinda Ardern? Well, she got
1: sold down the river by Grant Robertson, and and you know we we're, we're not big Robo fans. We think he's a lazy, useless bastard, but um, he's demonstrated it in this campaign. He. Um, he was selling the story, oh, I can't put together an alternative budget because national will know what our policies are. And I was just, that's bullshit, Robbo. You're just a lazy prick. You even if you don't disseminate your alternative budget, you've got to put it together. And you know, this oh, we're gonna have a tax working group, they've had bloody nine years in opposition. They should have worked it out by now. Um and that it just shows an absolute lack of of political mouse and leadership from their finance spokesman Grant Robertson and I know that the um, the, the people like Andrew Little were just shocked that Labour would do something as silly as say we're going to have a tax working group and we will impose new taxes before we put it to the electorate and you know, just a basic schoolboy error from a a guy that wants to be finance minister. I think he's been found out really badly in this campaign.
0: But but that's been going on for a long time because I remember Phil Goff opposing the asset sales and saying that they were going to have a capital gains tax then. And it was the same uh, issue. It was, um, you know, we're going to have a tax working group and we're going to come up with this. And then after the election, we'll decide what we're going to do. And that's why John Key was able to say, show me the money and just embarrassed Phil Goff into into a stuttered silence. Um, They did it again with David Cunliffe, where they said they were going to have a tax working group. But the funny thing is is that during that time in opposition, those those years at least, they managed to put some parliamentary services funding into an inquiry on manufacturing, uh, which found that there was a crisis, and they announced it on the same day that the government announced the manufacturing figures had turned around. And then they've also had, Robbo has actually had the time and the energy to do the Future of Work Commission, and he's spent money cutting and pasting from Guardian articles and Forbes and things like that. Um, he's done the thinking around that, but he hasn't done the thinking around how you're going to pay for the future of work. And I, and I find it bizarre that they've had money for a, an inquiry into manufacturing, they've had money for the Future of Work Commission, but they haven't spent any time, effort or money in developing a valid tax plan after nine years in opposition, and they deserved their spanking because of that.
1: Yeah, and you know, you just look at all the bloody former student politicians who think that talking about bloody useless identity politics and stuff like that is a good idea. And Robbo's um, track record of, of holding up Parliament to block voluntary student unionisms just showed how out of touch he is with the real world. But he decided to go down this future of work thing. I mean, when they came out with their their policies, you've spent two years coming up with this bullshit. Like, it's at best half an hour's work for about three people that have got a moderate general knowledge. And instead, he should have been spending his time constructing an alternative budget every year to demonstrate that Labour
0: were financially credible. But he's not the only dead-set useless caucus member, is he? What about Twyford?
1: Well, I mean, you know, you you really need to take Twyford out the back and shoot him. I mean, he he cost so many votes with his stupid, factually incorrect attack on the Chinese people buying the um the properties in Auckland. I mean, that the the chinky sounding names um was just ludicrous. He said, oh, well, 39% of houses have been. Bought by Chinese, and it just wasn't true. He couldn't get his facts straight, and he insulted a, a large demographic who will never vote for Labour while he's around.
0: Well, one of Labour's bagmen is, is uh, well, former bagmen, is married to a Chinese, and there's no way he's going to go and pick up cheques for, for the Labour Party.
1: Oh, well, you know, I know that he was out there picking up cheques for New Zealand first, and he was bloody helping out Shane Jones. I mean, you're just ludicrous to attack an entire group of um, people, but if you are going to do it, you make sure you've got your facts right, and Twyford simply
0: didn't do that. Well, Twyford is sitting there thinking he's the cat that's licked the cream because they've uh, managed to get up to a position where they can possibly form a government. But I had a quick scan through the uh, through the Auckland results and the party vote, and Twyford lost his own party vote in his own electorate. Um, you know, Alf um, Naro, Uh, has pushed him hard there and managed to get the party vote up, which is far more important than actually winning the seat. And if you look at the neighbouring electorate, New Lynn, where Deborah Russell, a a tax expert who was selected as a candidate for the Labour Party but clearly has had no input into the tax um, policy of Labour, she lost the party vote as well.
1: Yeah, and, you know, you you just struggle to comprehend how – Phil Twyford, who is apparently a strategic genius, hasn't worked out that you're going to bloody win the party vote. And you know, and not only that, you, you, you think, okay, so Deborah Russell, who we've both heard very good things about, um, uh, and for a Labor candidate coming in, she has a great track record. She could have put together their tax policy probably in a couple of weeks, but they didn't ask her to.
0: Well, and then on top of that, uh, she's so busy campaigning and finding her feet as a candidate uh, that she's she's lost the party vote. In fact, out west, the only electorate where Labor won the party vote was Carmel Cipollone's.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, it's just Labor can't really expect to um, to become government until they start winning the party vote and the seats that they hold, um, and then they need to start winning the party vote in some of the seats that National holds, and they're a long way away from doing that.
0: Yeah, you take two right? Party vote, National, 43.3%, Labour Party, 41.9%. Um, th- and that's the campaign chair. That's his electorate. Um, if you look at New Lynn uh, with Deborah Russell, 434 National, Labour 409 And if you then look at um, at, at uh, Carmel Cepaloni's uh, Kelston seat, Uh, Labour Party, 48.8. National Party, 34.4. Stark difference, but not much difference in the demographics between those electorates.
1: Yeah, I I don't know them um, particularly well, but it it just shows it's it's not as big a crime as when um, National uh, won in the high, th- oh, sorry, in the low thirties, uh, uh, electorate vote and only twenty percent of the party vote under Bill
0: English in two thousand and two. Mm, yeah, that's right. That's true, but uh, you know, MMPs about the party vote. Nationals showing that they know how to get their party vote, how to maintain their party vote, how to corral that party vote into not disappearing anywhere. It's now obvious uh, from the results that Labor got up because the soft core. Uh, Centrist type labour voters who had abandoned labour under Andrew Little had obviously gone and sat with Winston, and then when Jacinda uh, Ardern came along, uh, they all flocked back there, and uh, and consequently uh, gave Winston his lower result than what he was expecting.
1: Yeah, and you know you you just think, well, what would have happened if um, if Jacinda had have had a competent campaign that wasn't relentlessly positive and a competent finance spokesman that had actually done some work.
0: Well the bottom line for that, in my view, Simon, is that um is that they didn't have a plan. They had a plan to replace Andrew Little, but they didn't have a plan to run a campaign with Jacinda as the as the captain, you know, as she likes to call herself. Mm-hmm. And so they only had a half assed plan and a they've got a half assed result as a result of that.
1: Yeah, and and you know I think that we do need to give a lot of credit to Stephen Joyce, who has managed to make a guy who we both think is an absolute plonker, Bill English, look good enough to win and win quite well. Um, you know, Bill in two thousand and two was just so wet and so useless. He took national to to twenty point nine three percent of the party vote, and. And he's got more than double at this time, and and you know, Stephen Joyce took a lot of flack for um, his uh, fiscal hole, but you know that was to prove a point, and he he proved it nicely, and and he's made Bill look good, and he's got an unprecedented fourth term that just hasn't happened since Holyoke's day.
0: And if you look at Bill's performance after the uh, after his uh, speech uh, following the results last night, it was absolutely dreadful. I, I thought he was uh, three sheets to the wind. But it it highlights very clearly for me just how poorly Labour did because they had a person who was who had star quality. They had Jacinda Ardern. The media were in love with her. You know, uh, you, had, you had old nannas like Audrey Young wetting their knickers over her. Mm. Um, but Bill English still um, pasted them. And, and that to me says that Labour didn't have a plan uh, other than Andrew Little's plan. And all they did is change the face. But it does tell you something that you do have to have a leader as a star quality, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, well, I think that you you need a leader that is um, it, people like and want to listen to to start with. But you know, I don't think very many people like Bill English, but he's just got this great infrastructure that is was initially built by Don Brash, Judy Kirk, and Stephen Joyce, and Joyce is just a genius and has, has managed to make a guy who doesn't have star quality. Um, win um and you know that's a, a thing that we need to you know, constantly bear in mind is that you can win if you don't have star quality i'm sure that helen clark didn't have star quality and bill english does yeah but
0: she was bloody competent you know and she had a good team around her and she knew how to knife people that got in the way
1: but you know she if you don't have that star quality like jacinda you have to be willing to do the work that Helen Clark did or build a team of really competent people like um, National did after 2002 when Judy Kirk and Stephen Joyce put the party back together and Don Brash got it up to a certain point and John Key made it even better. And, yeah, you know, Key did have star quality, but he, yeah, you know, the, the, probably the... the Bigger lesson is that Labour can't have a boring, useless leader anymore. You know, they've got to have someone that
0: connects. Well, they've also got to be able to deliver. And that's the thing with John Key, is that he had the star quality, but he actually had good managerial skills. Um, He had a gut feel of what the electorate was wanting. Of course, that was provided by, you know, uh, the able polling and focus grouping from our good mate David Farrer at Courier. But um, he he still had a finger on the pulse of the nation. I'm not sure Jacinda does uh, have that. Uh, She has a concerned face and a smiley face, and she says the right things, and she's always wanting to have conversations. Uh, I noticed when she was leaving to make her speech that she said, if only I'd had a bit more time. And I'm not sure that would have worked, because Labour's campaign was ebbing away, and if She'd had more time. I think the voters would have seen the sorts of things that I've seen with Jacinda Ardern and others uh, around her. That there's no depth there. It is really a collection of slogans, uh, socialist slogans at that, a, and some nice motherhood and apple pie statements. And if if the electorate, and I think this is what they're going to find out too, Labor, if they keep Jacinda Ardern on, they're going to find out that the the electorate uh, is really sick of having conversations and they want to hear action. Points and so I'm not convinced that just having the star quality is effective unless you've got that work ethic. And I'm not sure uh, that Jacinda has the work ethic or the ability to have the work ethic. But neither does Rob or Phil Twyford. So to my mind, Labor's kind of stuck with Jacinda now because she got enough there to get um, a whole lot of new MPs who will who will have to be loyal to her because they're there because of her. But there's no depth there still.
1: Yeah, and you know, they really need to, instead of getting some useless pinko like Gould doing their, their election review, they need to get someone bloody good like Fat Tony um, or Mike Williams. And, you know, Mike will tell him the truth. Um, and that's that's the kind of guy that you need to get in there and, and who won't be afraid of telling the truth because he's he's a proven success in the past. Um, you know, Fat Tony would be bloody good to do their review.
0: Well, he, he he doesn't take prisoners, and every time I meet him, I always count my fingers after I've shaken my hand with him.
1: Yeah, look, he's just a bloody good political operator who knows how to win, and, and that appears to be something that Labour's lacking.
0: What about polling, Simon? Um, we've talked about personality, we've talked about star quality, we've talked about, you know, Steve Joyce and Robbo and, and negative campaigning. What role did the polls have in this election who were the winners? Who were the losers? And who who should we just mock mercilessly?
1: Well, I think that Reed Research of the public polls was the closest to being correct, and and that is uh, you know a, a point in their favour. Um, I found the Colmar Brunton polls really really perplexing. I just didn't see that Labor was ahead, um, and they had two polls where Labor were ahead, and then they got a poll that was much closer to the result, and it was a Massive swing, and I, I was wondering if their model was wrong. Um, It'd be interesting to find out from Farah what what he picks up about why Colmar Brunton's numbers were so far out in those first two polls, but were um, much better in the um, in the final one.
0: But well, Colmar yet, well, Brunton stated they haven't changed their methodology. And uh, my readers were reporting they were getting phoned by Colmar Brunton, and they were being asked if they were in the age group 18 to 35, and if they weren't, then they were getting hung up on. So I'm wondering if they weren't trying to stack their polls with younger people. But if they were doing that, then that's just seriously risky because your credibility goes out the window when you get things wrong and swings that are that big it made them look like Roy Morgan, you know, and everyone laughs about Roy Morgan polling, but Colmar Brunton really came close to falling into that category. And if they don't fix it, um, then I, I think it's going to continue to dog them. But I agree with you. Reed research was very consistent. It matched the internal polling of UMR and, and David Farris and, uh, You know, that to me, when you've got three sets of pollsters that are matching each other, that shows that they've got their methodology right. And when you've got polls that are swinging everywhere, um, there's something wrong there.
1: Yeah, and you know, if I was um, out there buying some polling and I couldn't use David Farrow, I'd be going straight to Reed Research because they're the ones that got it right. Um, And and that probably leads on to, we've already been skating about Roy Morgan, but Roy Morgan was, was positively um yeah genius level polling compared to horizon research i mean if if you go and look at horizons numbers they had national and labor about i think national was 39 and labor was 38 i mean you would have to be a complete dickhead to bloody take horizon seriously they're just so far out that it wasn't funny you
0: mean like martin bradbury
1: yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Colin Craig
0: did he use Horizon? No, he no, he used, up- used some other dodgy outfit. Um, but uh, the thing is, is that people were quoting Horizon polling. In fact, it was Act the Act Party that was saying that. Uh, look what Horizon's showing. Act, we you know based on Act, will have uh, on Horizon poll. Act will have five MPs. Well, they've got one, and he's dead set useless.
1: Yeah, and they got half a percent. I mean, it, it, the, the horizons are just a joke, and they they did the same thing at the last election. Their numbers were just way out. Um, why anyone is willing to pay for them is beyond me. I mean, you you need to get a decent poller to do your polling, and
0: that is not Horizon. I'll tell you, one bunch of rat bags is Newsroom. You know, they launched themselves, said they were a new media outfit, and then they produced these polls that were just laughable. And they were talking it up, saying, "Well, we're using a combination of a, of um, you know, web, um, you know, self-selected people and and cell phones and landlines, etc." And it's some overseas crowd, but they they produced a poll that said that National was going to get like thirty percent. Or something ridiculous like that, and that Labor was was fifteen points in front of them. I and mean, their credibility's out the window, and Selwyn Pellett must be seriously scratching his head over those two muppets he's got running that outfit.
1: Well, yeah, and you know Selwyn Pellett is a bloody successful guy who's not used to people making mistakes of that magnitude, and you know it's, you can't get your polling that wrong I and mean, expect to be taken seriously. Polling is is quite easy to get, at least in the ballpark, and they were so far away from the ballpark, they're not credible.
0: So media organisations, to me, seem to want to be the story and make the stories rather than just report the stories, and polling is one way that they're able to do that. I think that even uh, TV3 or News Hub uh, over the poll results there as well with Patrick Gower. But it, the core results from Reed Research uh, were pretty good. Uh, TVNZ made it made a, a mockery of the whole process, and uh, I don't think Fairfax even ran a poll. And the Herald's digipolls uh, and their predictive big data um, that looked farcical as well. You and I were looking at that with an incredulity, increasing incredulity as the election went on. Where they were making calls that just weren't supported by any facts. I mean, they were saying that um, that the Hawks Bay home wrecker Anna Lark was going to uh, clean up and tookie tookie and it turned out the other way round.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think that the in defence of the Herald, which I'm loath to do, their their model it was only as good as the information they're plugging into it, and the information they're plugging into it wasn't very good.
0: Well, I mean, I found that statistics—that's um, statistics blog and the models that we're using there—they um, stood me in really good stead because they la- enabled me to work on a probability of who could form a government, and it's turned out that I've been right. Um, that the that the three is only three possibilities for a government: there's a National New Zealand First, there's a Labour New Zealand First in Green, and a National Green. Um, I'd have no no probability uh, rating on. National and the Greens, uh, but the probability rating before the election and the night before and I checked, um, it was 87% for a National New Zealand First government. Yeah,
1: and you, you've got to think that, that some of Peter's methodology must be really, really sound and it's it's a pity that, that people like News Hub don't engage him and, not News Hub, sorry, um, uh, Newsroom don't engage Peter because... He actually got stuff right, and Horizons just got it horrifically wrong.
0: Well, I think that we've just got to get away from this um, you know, binary sort of analysis of polls and start looking at, at statistical probabilities. Because if you do look at it, there is the, of the possibility that Labor, New Zealand First and Greens can form a government. But Peter's model says it's 54%. Now, I'm not a betting man, but if I was a betting man, I'd take an 87% probability over a 54% probability all day long.
1: Oh, and, and, you know, Peter explained a whole lot of stuff to us on a podcast that made me a lot more confident in in what he was doing and, and that he was going to be right and it looks like he got it absolutely bang on.
0: Well, I think that's where the media comes in is that they're reporting on what they want to happen rather than what is happening. It's wishful thinking rather than fact reporting.
1: Mm, and, you know, that was one of the great things, uh, talking to Peter, he didn't have a perspective one way or another. He was just interested in the numbers.
0: Mm. Now, problems. When uh, when you get a large intake and there are people who haven't been in Parliament before, they're new to the whole process, that can cause problems in caucuses, can't it? I mean, Bill, uh, Jim Bolger had that problem in 1990 with his landslide when he had a whole bunch of dickheads come in.
1: Yeah, and you know, I don't know that there's quite as many people that are going to cause problems for Labour because they actually vetted their people and they haven't didn't have the, I think it was 36 new national MPs in 1990 and quite a lot of them they didn't expect to win so they put some absolute plonkers up to take one for the team and they actually won.
0: Um, yeah, Gilbert and, Miles and Hamish McIntyre and a few of those people. Yeah, well, what year did Thorne win? Um, yeah, I think it came in in that. Um, that was the famous Sony Hanga, um recount uh, that my father was involved in, but <laughs> we don't need to go into that. Oh, no. 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 <laughs> um, National 2 has some problems too because uh, the way I see it is that uh, they've been living a dream that, uh, that they weren't going to have to deal with Winston, that their hit job... That they performed on Winston was going to new to him, and uh, they were going to get enough votes from the uh, from the the wasted vote uh, to weather the storm of the of the um, special votes and be able to govern alone. Well, that that's that plan's failed. Their support partners, uh, the Maori Party, who Bill English propped up with a number of policy uh, ideas, and also in the lead up to the election, they're gone and actors but one vote, and of course Peter Dunn's retired. So National's master plan to govern alone or with existing partners is in tatters, leaving them with an irascible uh, Winston Peters, who's hell-bent on a little bit of Utu for some dirty stuff that went on during the campaign.
1: Yeah, and, and rightly so too. If I was bloody advising Winston, I wouldn't be taking any prisoners.
0: Well, the thing is is that Bill English has also been telling the backbench, and a lot of the backbenchers uh, have also come to the conclusion that they're better off to take the loss. It'll clean out the old guard, uh, and then they can come back after three years. And, and I think that's a rather short-sighted um, uh, assessment on the back part of the backbenchers. Yes, I can understand their own personal careers uh, being helped by that, but I think that it's short-sighted because I just don't believe that once in power a Jacinda Ardern-led government with Winston Peters supporting them uh, would expire at the end of one term. Uh, incumbency is worth a lot and and none of those backbenchers have ever been in opposition and so they don't understand what it's like. Yeah, yeah I think
1: that's a, a good point. They just don't understand what it's like because they haven't been there. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that there's going to have to be a whole lot of growing up from some of the national MPs that haven't had to work through opposition.
0: I had a phone call uh, this evening from a very, very senior um, gallery journalist who uh, was telling me that Jacinda Ardern's the best thing since sliced bread, that um, you know, in the short time he spent with her on the campaign trail, she will make a very fine Uh, Prime Minister, and that Winston's definitely going to go with Labour and the Greens. And I just I fell about laughing um, that the senior gallery journalist uh, was making decisions on his writing uh, that was going to appear in whatever columns they are, that's based purely on a gut feel, emotion, without looking at any of the stats. And the way that the numbers have fallen, uh, where you've got, um, you know, National with 58 seats and New Zealand First with nine, with a possible government of 67 uh, needing 61 to govern, that's a, a buffer of six uh, there. So even if you had a couple of dickhead MPs in either party uh, fall over or by-election mistakes or upsets, you can still govern. There's a, a, seri- there's, a there's real stability there. The the left wing are pushing that um, that there's a mood for change, that uh, Labour, New Zealand First and the Greens are 61 and that's a majority and therefore uh, that's where the votes are uh, for change. Personally, I can't see Winston wanting to have a risk that one of his MPs isn't going to be a dickhead or one of the Labour or Green MPs aren't going to be a dickhead. And you know, I think it was our mate Farrow who was in the chat the other night said, Do you want to have a government where your majority of one is uh, governed by the lowest common denominator in your party?
1: Yeah, and and when you added that in terms of the lowest common denominator in the Greens, you've got even more problems.
0: Yeah, I mean, you've got got some real lightweights that have come in with the Greens. I mean, you had James Shaw on election night claiming victory and he's lost half his caucus. It's just insane sort of behaviour. Uh, who knows what Winston is going to do, but I do know two things absolutely uh, certain with Winston Peters. The first one is the Greens are going to get nothing, and if he does go with Labour, then they're going to get shanked.
1: Yep, no, I couldn't agree more. And uh, good on him too. I think that, yeah, that keeping the Greens out is, a, is the Lord's work.
0: The second thing is that Winston really, really, really wants stable government because he has, in the past, had his party cause instability and he doesn't want to ever have that again. That doesn't mean to say he's going to go with with national, absolutely. There's some Utu to be had there. But likewise, there's some Utu to be had with Labour because um, they basically pinch 10% of his vote. And yeah. he's, prob- he's not very happy at the moment and he's a little bit grumpy and um, he's probably a bit tired as well. But I know that his advisors are sitting there thinking, "Well, you know, Labor actually shanked us in the in the last couple of weeks of the election. National did too. But let's look at what, what the options are and who's prepared to negotiate the hardest." Yep. So yep. we'll just wait and see what happens with that.
1: Yeah, 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 and we'll probably be talking about it more as it does happen.
0: Yeah, it just depends on where they go, you know, and how um, insistent Labor is on some of their bottom lines, um, you know, talking about, you know, there's absolutely no way they're going to let anybody else do finance. Well, you know, my view, Robbo's burnt that bridge. He doesn't deserve the role.
1: No, 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 no. He's a proven failure and, and he should be sacked.
0: Mind you, he might be a useful puppet for someone in New Zealand first who's got the chops to be able to sit there and provide budgets. And allow Grant Robertson to stand there and read out his first budget and then knife him after that.
1: Yeah, I don't know that New Zealand First necessarily um, has anyone that would be willing to do that, though.
0: They'd hire someone. That's what I reckon.
1: Yeah, they they could, but yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I think it's been a fascinating election. Um, It was certainly a lot quieter for me, this election, but um, that's a good thing. Um, And now I guess we see how good the negotiating teams are at at, uh, forming a government.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be yeah fun to be on the inside of that, but um, obviously we won't be.
0: Well, there's ways and means of finding these things out.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yep.
0: All right. Thanks for that review, Simon. And yeah, uh, no I hope worries. the listeners have enjoyed that. And uh, you're heading off on a trip, but we'll still be doing podcasts while you're away. Yeah, definitely. Yep. All right. Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Cam.